thanks and um, th thanks and welcome to this next episode of uh, a just natural africa and uh, in this particular season we are looking at uh, protected areas with regards to africa in this case and today we have uh, knowledge Bingi from zimbabwe and uh, we are keen to know more about him and uh, just right before we start off uh, knowledge would you like to tell us your names your pronouns uh, where you're from your current location and uh, what you're wearing like what actually inspired what you're wearing though today in particular uh what's your current role and uh, affiliation yeah thank you Aita. my name is knowledge Minki. i'm based in Arare, zimbabwe i'm currently wearing a, a jean shirt because it's a weekend and i was planning i'm traveling to some place so i've just stopped for this session because it's so important uh, that i I share insights about protected area conservations in Africa. Um, I am the programs coordinator for the Zimbabwe Biodiversity Network, which is the youth uh, chapter under the Global Youth Biodiversity Network, which is the youth constituents under the UNCBD. So what we try to do is to implement and facilitate policies, youth inclusion in those policies, as well as making sure that active youth engagement on the ground is always positive and there's a uh, there's an equal sort of equality whenever there's such engagement and um, i'm also part of the charles arao police fellowship which is looking at engaging african young african youth in the policy sphere especially for uncbd and other multilateral environmental agreements thank you Thank you so much, Knowledge, and uh, quite a number of times when we try to tell people about the work we do and, our, and maybe our affiliations, ETC, it, uh, it in a way is quite inspiring and we also do acknowledge that there's always a background or it comes from somewhere. And right about now, I'm just keen to know what inspired you to come into the broader conservation space. Like what was that actually one thing that inspired you to actually come into the space? You know, Because it's quite interesting even at our own times when I would say the African population is only fast shooting. So um, try to bring this up from an African context, but of course, reflecting on your own story and journey so far. Thank you, Aita. Uh, I grew up in a rural village in Zimbabwe, some area north of Zimbabwe. It's called uh, Gokwe. So it's a wildlife-rich area. And uh, when we used to go to school, sometimes we'd miss school because uh, uh, a buffalo would have strayed into our communities or an elephant or a lion, then it didn't make sense. You know, you grow up with that um, hatred towards wildlife because you are planning to do something at school tomorrow and then you can't go to school because of that certain activity or event which uh, you have missed. So without any sort of understanding and, and knowledge about these wildlife species, I just grew up with that hatred kind of mindset. But then we could call it being unfortunate or fortunate. I applied to do geology at the University of Zimbabwe, but then they offer you another option to say which other two courses would you choose in case you fail to make it for geology. And then I chose environmental science and by 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 luck or unlucky, I got enrolled to, to do environmental sciences. And the most exciting topic which touched my whole understanding was environmental systems. 
which was trying to look at how interconnected we all are and being part of a web to say we all depend on butterflies because they pollinate our crops and then we eat our crops and then all the, that whole interconnected systems. It opened my thinking to say, if I had to learn this at this level, what about someone based in Gokwe who doesn't have this access to do environmental science? So I then started to, 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 to work with other youths in Zimbabwe to see if we can do awareness and conservation awareness. And in 2017, there was a capacity building workshop for, for African youth to be part of the CBD process. And uh, fortunately, a friend of mine reached out to me, her name is Priska. She said, knowledge, I've attended this workshop. Do you want to be part of this? Well, she has known me doing other activities, but we, with, without a formalized system. So that's where it all started. And uh, I was fortunate enough to also work with the Zimbabwe Parks and Wildlife Management Authority, which is the country's um, flagship conservation agent. And uh, as you travel across the country, you realize that a lot of people see wildlife as a separate entity to their livelihood. And uh, it took upon me to say, maybe ZYB is the platform and the vehicle to educate communities about how we are all one and how we are all connected. So maybe that's the founding principle that I could share with you. Thank you. Thank you so much. I think your, your own story is quite interesting as well. And uh, right now, we, under, we also do know that the whole conservation space is broad and the number of aspects we always try to look out to when we are talking about conservation in its own. And of particular interest now is uh, lots of discussions have been moving around protected and conserved areas. And uh, re recently, I think just about three months ago, we had the first ever Africa Congress on protected and conserved areas. And I think uh, as a continent, this is actually a first step towards something great and with more even to come up. So I would like to understand now with your own context from Zimbabwe, yes, also trying to bring it down to your own story, uh, what's the understanding of protected and conserved areas and uh, what does it actually mean for conservation, especially for people in your own local community? Thank you. I, I hope I didn't miss out a few concepts since my network is a bit up and down. But uh, what, 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 what is facing the generic of Africa? I think you, you clearly stated it out that the recent African Protected Areas Congress was trying to look at it. Is the lack of connection between people and nature. The, the, this separation is ongoing and uh, we have a challenge even back here in Zimbabwe where the, we could relate it to colonization, where the protected areas laws separated the locals from the wildlife rich areas. And that created an enmity within those um, constituencies. And so far you find that there's a lot of illegal wildlife trade where your locals are the, the custodians actually of poachers. Those poachers come from somewhere, stay in a local community, poach in and get out. And that's a big challenge. We also have got human and wildlife conflict where because of climate change, resources are becoming scarce. And sometimes wildlife, you know, protrudes into communities and that creates a conflict. We also, the, there's the issues to do with the generic access to, to resources where communities are not allowed to gain access. You know, there's this adage you're saying a, foreign, a foreigner is a, is a hunter 
but the local is a poacher. So that, that differentiation is another problem that we need to deal with as Africa. So what, what we, I think, as African youths need to, to, to look at is how can we empower locals? I've seen the model of Kenya, where locals are actually now running their own uh, conservancies and protected areas to try to sort of decolonize the whole concept where someone has to come in from somewhere to run a conservancy. We need to empower the locals themselves so that they've got the technical and, uh, and um, marketing and all the relevant skills to run a proper uh, conservation area. We're also looking at um, the human wildlife conflict uh, in Zimbabwe, for, for example, right, right now, I think we've lost around 82 lives since the beginning of the year. They, they are getting attacked by elephants or lions or, or all the carnivores. So it's a really big challenge. And um, we feel as, as locals and youths, we need to have a voice. If we are to utilize these resources, there must be a fair and equitable way of making sure that everyone access the resources. Uh, corruption is all over Africa and we're trying to make sure that there's transparency whenever we're dealing with these um, kind of issues, uh, Aita. Thank you. Thank you so much. I think uh, you highlighted quite a number of challenges that actually face protected and conserved areas. And uh, these are, uh, I would also note that these are actually challenges that are common almost everywhere or if not everywhere around the continent itself. And uh, I also just wanted to get to know from you specifically. So you've highlighted these challenges. So what do, what do PAs actually mean to you? So if you are to visualize what a PA or a CA is in this case. Thank you, Aita. Uh, <laughs> it's a difficult concept to, to try to explain because um, there are definitions uh, for such and uh, from my personal perception and vision, I, I see protected areas as, a, as an area where people and nature can coexist and benefit from each other mutually. Um, it's, a, it's a system where you cannot define boundaries. It's unfortunate that the laws and statutes define boundaries as protected areas, but a few other effective conservation methodologies could actually look uh, and be part of uh, protected areas. Because remember, people and wildlife cannot be separated. Whatever you're trying to put a boundary, there were people or you may try to move people. But rather, if you focus on a mutually beneficial type of um, ecosystem, I think you create um, an environment where protected areas are. How do you then create such an environment? We all know that people need access to food. How do you make the productive agricultural uh, systems more effective so that you don't actually create more spaces for agricultural land, but rather have more effective spaces so that people can utilize. Uh, in Zimbabwe, they are they doing uh, what you call a chili, chili farming, where you put chilies, if you know the, 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 the spicy ones. Actually, most wildlife don't pre prefer it, so they can through your field and don't disturb your crop field, but also getting monetary value out of your land. We are looking at beekeeping. These are some of the mutually beneficial um, uh, protected area and community um, systems livelihoods that the people can actually 
Futa, you are looking at energy access. Um, I was looking at Zimbabwe's uh, current statistics. Almost 60% of our people don't have access to electricity. And we're saying they should not cut trees. And are you sure we cannot cut trees? Because we don't have another alternative. So I was saying, can we provide alternatives for people so that I don't think anyone will be willing to go to cut a tree when they've got access to a clean, uh, maybe solar energy or another source of clean energy for their community. So these are some of the visions that we may have to look ahead for in the in the landscape conservation for protected area. Thank you. Yes, uh, so it's it's so amazing that you've actually now come to uh, after identifying the challenges, you've been able to actually now like describe your own scenario of what a PA or a CA means. I know there are lots of definitions out there of what a PA or a CA can be, and right now we have lots of, I would call them controversies around having PAs and CAs fenced. Yet in actual sense, these are areas whereby resource use and access is actually supposed to be still continuing or supposed to be guaranteed, actually. And uh, moving further, I think you also, as I said, you also highlighted some little bit of what you envision, and I'm curious to know a little more about how you would envision and what you would have as an, an ideal situation for PEs and CAs. And then just like, some, just like a number of people around the continent, I know you're also running efforts uh, through your work to ensure that this goal of having both, having effective PEs and CAs is, is achieved. So what would you envision? What would you envision as uh, a future with PAs, with particular and conserved areas? And uh, what are you actually doing or what are people around you actually doing to, towards achieving this? Thank you, Aita. We, we are basically trying to make sure that there is awareness. You cannot protect what you do not know. You'd be shocked that someone based in Harare has never seen an elephant. And uh, fortunately or unfortunately, in the next few years, he's going to be an honorable member in the, in, in the parliament. And he's going to put policies affecting elephants in Wange. So the first line of protocol that ZYBN and other concerned stakeholders were trying to push is awareness. Are people aware that their policies govern wildlife? Are people aware that there is policies for sustainable consumption of wildlife resources? We have been having a challenge where people are saying, do not harvest certain uh, wildlife species in a certain area. Uh, they've never been there. They've never experienced the cost of living with wildlife where people are losing lives. I've told you 82 people died from January only. Imagine someone is telling you that and is based in Harare where they can just drive to work and come back. They don't have the cost of living with wildlife. So we're trying to, to conscientize communities to be aware of other people's situation. Besides that, we're also trying to make sure that we are in policy influence. Uh, Zimbabwe has, has had one of the leading um, uh, wildlife resource policies called the campfire model, which looked at communities trying to benefit. But on the, on the ground, there's been concerns to say we're not getting these resources. And fortunately enough, the government has had to actually review the, the campfire model. So we're part of those engagement processes and we are coming up now with the campfire 2.0 model, which now tries to look at making sure that um, 
the people on the ground, the ones most affected are benefiting. Because previously it was like the authority, the governing authority within the community would get the money and then decide on how to allocate it to its own budgets. And that would affect because the whole authority is sort of bigger. So policy influence is one of other aspects. Also looking at empowerment, we've told you the only way to make sure that someone doesn't harvest forest is to make sure that they're empowered. How do you do that? Beekeeping, we've got partners that we're working with. Uh, you cannot cut a tree when you know that you're going to get honey out of that ecosystem. So already there's empowerment, you make sure that they're occupied, they cannot be enticed into poaching or any other activities. So we're also trying to push into lobbying. Basically, the post-2020 is ambitious as it is, and you were there at APEC, concerns for 30 by 30. Uh, Africa is saying we don't have space. But as youths, we're always trying to push to say, yes, there's space. You know, when you try to push and push, someone will compromise and say, maybe we'll give you 25. So at least we are trying to push on the lobbying aspect of that aspect. So these are some of the activities we are doing, obviously, with our partners. We can do it alone. And um, so far, so good. Yeah, it's really amazing because uh, over the recent past, we've been hearing serious discussions around 30 by 30 and also now in the lead up to the CBD COP15. It's also a very crucial discussion. And uh, uh, thanks. And it's also great to note that uh, as African youth, we are doing quite, quite a lot to do to engage with lobbying and uh, the way forward with this. So the next uh, question is just to understand, yes, uh, we actually are a continent where the population is actually is fast escalating, and these challenges are, these challenges even get much more difficult. We saw it from the first uh, Congress on protected areas, and perhaps with more to, with more of these challenges to come, it's even yet to get more complex. So, what's your message or advice for other young Africans out there who are getting to the conservation space? and uh, maybe more specifically now trying to look into the niche of protected and conserved areas in this case. Thank you, Aita. Uh, I've always had this argument with my fellows to say, conservation is a business. It requires money, it requires technical capacity, it requires a dedication. Uh, unfortunately for most of us, the youths, we, we feel it's a, it's a field of empathy where if you beg me not to kill an elephant, then I'll feel like I'm obligated not to do so. But then if there are no resources or certain aspects to protect that wildlife resource, somebody else will. So I would like to urge youth to see conservation as a business. And obviously we have to align ourselves to make sure that we're also part of that business cycle. Yes, we benefit more socially, culturally, you know, even from uh, the, the, the life cycle of having biodiversity within our spaces. But the best model for conservation is through corporate sector. You look at South Africa, the, the, the recent uh, increase in rhino populations has been attributed to legalizing private uh, owners to be able to own rhinos within their properties. And because it's a business sense, people come for tourism, the population for rhinos has increased. We could do the same for other species. And as youth, we, we have to align ourselves, try to get skills 
so that when we get partners into these business models, we are not found on the negative, but rather as equal partners who are actually willing to be respected. Because I was having this uh, fun argument with a friend of mine to say 60% of natural resources extracted in Africa are carried raw into Europe and West, uh, in the Western community. And as youth, where are we within that equation? So we need now to look at how we can actually be part of that problem and be part of the solution as well to say, if conservation is benefiting our communities, are we also making sure that there's fair and equitable benefit sharing within the ecosystem? We have the energy to lobby, we have the energy to do research. We should not let our communities down as youth. So this is a key message that I, I think as youth, especially riding from the APAC Congress and also the African Biodiversity Economy Summit, which was held in 2019 thereabout. We need to find our niche and make sure that our local communities benefit more as equal business partners in the conservation space. Most important is finding our niche. And I think that's where we have to put quite a bit of emphasis. Yeah, so thanks so much for all these insights. And now I'm curious, yes, you're doing all this and even you're, you're actually inspiring many others to do all this. And uh, I think I've, I also got inspired. That's why I was able to reach out to you to feature in this. <laughs> so I know that there is definitely a target you want to achieve. And this next session, this next phase will, uh, for this next phase, you will have to start with not on my watch. And uh, after saying not on my watch, you'll have to identify something you don't want to see happen as you keep on, I would call it as you keep on the fight for uh, the fight within the conservation space. So not on my watch, then it's a blank check. You can um, listen. <laughs> it's, it's a bit difficult, but I've, I've, de I've dedicated that not on my watch, wildlife spaces disappear. Uh, people have to know that we are mutually benefiting from these resources and local communities must be at the center of benefit sharing. That's their economy and we must not tamper with it. Thank you. Thank you very much for all these critical insights that you've shared. And I think uh, they've really been so much informative and as well educative. And uh, it's great to have you and uh, yeah, we've come to the end of the session. <laughs>